Exodus. Exodus chapter 32. And a, a continuation of where we left off last week. I have to tell you, you know, it's... Uh, for me, this is one of the saddest, saddest parts of the Bible. Uh, you know, there, there are there, you, we're going to see it a lot. We're going to just be on an emotional roller coaster when we're in the Bible, and when you read the Bible and you study the Bible, it's like a straight up emotional roller coaster, because you see the nature of our Lord, how He has such good things for us, but then at the same time, you see the nature of humanity, the nature of the carnal, the nature of you, the nature of me. But the question is, are, who is the one in our hearts, in our minds, to say, Lord, thy will, not my will, thy will be done in my life. And we carry our cross. Remember, carrying a cross is an instrument of death. To put it, you know, I, I, I don't want to say it in other words that deviate from the, the nature of what God wants to do inside of your hearts. But imagine, you know, you're, you're going to be put to a firing squad. And, you know, 10 guys, they're going to they're going to shoot you, you know, and and, you know, they want to walk you up to a certain location where they can put your body because they don't want to carry your body, you know. And so they walk you up to location. But while you're walking up, you say, hey, guys, I know you're going to shoot me, but let me carry your rifles. Let me carry your rifles. And you're basically carrying the instruments of your death. That's what it means to carry your cross. Because how much can we die more and more and more every day to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Dying to self and for the sake of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what's so beautiful about reading scripture because you start to, you start to see the wretchedness of the carnal, the disgusting things of the carnal. And, you know, it's not when you go through the Bible, you know, don't read it like milk toast, you know, where it's just like, oh, I don't like what it says here. So I'm going to skip this next time. I'm not going to read this anymore because you start cutting. If you start cutting out the words or taking a, a big bottle of white out and you start whiting out everything that you don't like, you know, you're going to after the course of 10 years, you're going to have a Bible that just, you know, maybe is a couple pages. Because what the Lord wants to do inside of you and inside of me is confront the carnal. And sometimes he confronts the carnal in a very direct manner. But it's so sad because from Exodus 25, you see Moses is on the top of the mountain. He's with the Lord. He's enveloped in this, uh, this beautiful, beautiful cloud. And the Lord is showing him beautiful things. And, you know, it was kind of like, you know, we started in chapter 32 last week. And, you know, I have to say, we did touch on some pretty disgusting things. And it's going to get worse this evening. It's going to get worse. The things that we're going to touch on. And, you know, remember here that Moses is an old man. And Joshua, he's a younger guy. And I, I, I there's times when I get like just so caught up in thought. I wonder what these two were like, what these two men were like, an old man carrying two tablets and a young man, and they're walking down the mountain together. Remember Moses, when he told the guys, he told the elders, he says, you guys wait here. I'm going to go up to the mountain. And you know, when he comes down, the only one he saw was Joshua. The other guys, Aaron, Hur, the elders, they went back down to base camp. A base camp where the Lord says in verse 9, he says, you know, the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. 
Stubborn people. Stubbornness. Be very, very careful with your own stubbornness. I have to tell you, you can ask my wife. She can attest to this. But you know, I'm a pretty stubborn guy. And it's so cool because, you know, the Lord puts people in your life. For me, he put my bride in my life to say she's a tough cookie. How she stands her ground and says, you know, no, this isn't right. This isn't right. And I remember when we first got married, there was a lot of friction in our marriage. And then all of a sudden, the Lord humbled me. The Lord humbled me. And then all of a sudden, I started to see things totally different. It's like, wow, my wife was trying to help me. And you have this old man and young Joshua. They're returning to the people with two tablets. And look what happens in verse 19. So it was as soon as he came near the camp. Translates as when they were approaching the camp. Remember, like in verse 18, they started to hear noise. You know, when you're at a far distance, you can't hear a lot of things. You know that base camp is that direction. You know it's in one direction in one area. And then as you get closer, you start to hear things. You start to hear the shouting. You can say, okay, we're getting close to base camp because this is where the people are. And verse 18 says, it is not the noise. Or, or, you know, uh, 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 Joshua was the one. He said to, to Moses, there is no, a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the noise of victory. It is not the noise of the shout of victory, nor the noise of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. And the people were worshiping the golden calf. They were worshiping the golden calf. And so they come to us in verse 19. So it was as soon as he came near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing. The dancing. Last week, we talked about the very sexual nature of this dancing. The, it's, I don't want to get into detail. We're going to get on into detail in a little bit. But it was very sexual in nature. A lot of lewd behavior. And it says in verse 19, so Moses' anger became hot. It translates literally as glowing hot. Glowing hot. Remember in verse 11, you know, the, the, Moses was asking the Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people? He was wondering why, because the Lord was telling him, you know, that these people are stiff-necked. He says in verse 8, they have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf. And worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, this is your God of Israel that brought you out of the land of Egypt. They were committing idolatry. Idolatry. And so now in verse 11, you know, Moses was wondering, you know, why are you so mad? Why does your wrath burn hot against them? In verse 19, he sees exactly why. And then his anger became glowing hot is how it translates. Uh, you know, if you ever fire a rifle at night, a fully automatic rifle at night, you know, like a cruiser weapon, you know, and it's just continuing fire. You just lay continuing fire on a certain target. After a while, after about a minute, maybe 30, 40 seconds of just continuous fire nonstop, the barrel starts to, it starts to glow because there's a lot of, it's basically an explosion that's happening right in front of you. And there's a little opening and that's where the, the round flies through. 
but you know it starts to glow and you have to change it out you have to take out the barrel and put in a new barrel that's why they call them cruiser weapons and that's what i see when i see here like moses anger becoming hot he just started it was like glowing hot he was so mad remember the bible teaches us you know that anger it's a part of life you have all these emotions in life, sadness, happiness, joy, misery, uh, sadness, and then you have anger. But the Lord teaches us that in our anger, do not sin. Do not sin. It's not to say, hey, I'm mad and then, you know, I'm just going to go on, on a rampage. But what the Bible teaches us in certain individuals at certain points in time, there is such a thing as righteous indignation. It's anger, but it's justified. It's called righteous indignation, righteous anger. That's what Moses is going through right now. He is mad. He sees all these things. And he cast the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. I have to say, you know, it. From chapter 25, you know, we've been in from chapter 25 to chapter 31. We've been studying a lot of beautiful things, plans that the Lord has for his people, for Aaron and his sons, redemption, redemption for the people. And you picture Moses just on cloud nine. You know, he's just totally, totally, totally on cloud nine. Like, wow, the Lord showed me these things. And I can't wait to tell Aaron. I can't wait to show his sons. I can't wait to uh, 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 consecrate him. I can't wait to consecrate his sons so that they can do that for the people. I can't wait for these things. He comes down the mountain, picks up Joshua, and thinks, I don't know. The, the, in my mind's eye, these are the things that I envision. And then telling Joshua, oh, Joshua, the Lord showed me such awesome things. And I can't wait to tell you. I can't wait to put these things into practice. And then, like, that's what's so beautiful about intimacy with the Lord. Intimacy with the Lord. There is the uh, protective nature about intimacy with the Lord. And you say, what do you mean a protective nature? Well, you know, when you have a love relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's, you know, one-to-one, the, the, the ratio is one-to-one. I mean, it's between you and him, him and you. And when you have this love relationship with the Lordship of Jesus Christ and you fall in love with his word, you fall in love with his character, you fall in love with every single aspect of his life. And then all of a sudden, you know, your heart starts to change. You don't like the crack anymore. You don't like the alcohol anymore. You don't like the sex anymore. You don't like all these kinds of different things. You don't like them anymore because you've fallen in love with the bridegroom. And you're waiting for him. And so all of a sudden in your life, you say, no thanks to this, no thanks to that, no thanks to this, that, that. But then what happens with your friends? A lot of times you talk to people, oh, I don't like to be in the Bible. I don't like to go to church. I don't want to read these things because it's just a bunch of rules. Just a bunch of rules. Well, you know what? Praise the Lord for rules. Because you can have intimacy with Jesus Christ and you don't, you don't have any STDs, you don't have gonorrhea, you don't have syphilis, you know, you're not a crackhead, you know, you're not strung out on drugs, you're not strung out on alcohol. The Lord has changed you. 
And because of this intimacy that you have with him, there's that protective blessing that he has for his people. Such is the case with Moses and Joshua. They were not partakers of the things of God's people. You know, at this particular, I say God's people, but you know, remember in verse seven, the Lord is the one who says to Moses, go and get down. He's on the mountain. He says, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. He doesn't say my people. All these passages we read where the Lord says, my people, my people, my people, my people, except right here, he's saying your people, Moses. Moses was mad when he came down from the mountain, the things that he saw. The people corrupted themselves. In verse 7, they straight up says that. They've corrupted themselves. There's nobody to blame but ourselves. Nobody to blame. And he takes the word, he takes the, uh, the tablets, he cast the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. The holy things of God, the carnal cannot accept them. The things that have been, you know, like when I say the carnal can't receive them, the people at this particular junction, when, when Moses comes down the mountain, they can't receive the things that Moses has taught him from chapter 25 to now. They're not ready for it. They're not prepared for it. It's going to happen in chapter 35, but not yet. You know why? Because repentance is needed. Repentance. It's the exact same thing today. People cannot receive holy things of the Lord because of the carnal nature. It's not to say that the Lord doesn't have good things for these people. It's to say, hey, the Lord has this for them, but you need to repent first. Repentance. It's not just like, okay, Lord, I'm sorry. It's belief in Jesus Christ. And repentance. All these people in the Old Testament and New Testament, when they're confronted with truth, how the Bible says they're cut to the heart. Like a knife in the heart. That's what the Holy Spirit does with you, with me, with all of creation. But a lot of people say, oh, don't judge me. Don't judge me. Remember, nothing new under the sun. It's an Old Testament example of casting pearls to the swine. How the Lord teaches us, don't cast your pearls before swine. But that's not to say that swine can't become lambs. What do you mean swine becoming lambs? Well, I was a swine at one point in my life. I hated Christians. I made fun of Christians. I tried to make Christians stumble. I was the biggest pig on the planet. Well, maybe not the biggest, but I was swine. The holy things of the Lord weren't for me. And then something happened where I started to believe. And then I could receive little nuggets of truth. And then all of a sudden I was able to receive these beautiful pearls that the Lord has for us. Don't cast your pearls before swine. But don't forget, always be hopeful because swine can become lambs. And you can give little pearls to lambs. And lambs can become sheep. And then you have spiritual growth, maturity in Christ. 
But then look what happens here in verse 20. Then he took the calf which they had made. You know, Moses is mad. Straight up righteous indignation. It's mad and anger, but in a good way. In a holy way. In a righteous way. He took the calf which they had made, burned it in the fire, and ground it to powder. And he scattered it on the water. He scattered it on the water and made the children of Israel drink it. Remember, he's an old man. So, like all these tasks, it's like you know to to break this calf is it's, it's not an easy thing. And he says, "You guys drink this." He made them drink it. He was mad. You know, it's revealed in Deuteronomy chapter nine, uh, chapter nine, verse nineteen, that he was afraid of God on their behalf. This is what Moses writes. He was afraid of God on their behalf, and I think that is so incredibly beautiful because you start to see a picture of Moses. Where, you know, if you're not going to be, if you're not going to fear the Lord, if you have no fear of God, I'm going to have fear for you on your behalf. I'm going to fear the Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm going to fear him on your behalf. That's righteous indignation. Righteous indignation tends to clean house. You see it all throughout the Bible. When you see righteous indignation, there's a high tendency to clean house. Where there is no fear of the Lord. And then you see a person in Holy Scripture. Where it's like okay if you're not going to fear the Lord. I'm going to fear the Lord for you. And then they just straight up clean house. Just like Moses is doing. Takes the calf that they're worshipping and dancing around. Breaks it. Burns it in the fire. Grounds it to powder and scattered on the water. And made the children of Israel drink it. You know what was happening? The inf. The influence of all these other people around Israel, the influence even of Egypt, which was in their rearview mirror, was coming into the camp. The influence of the Egyptians, the influence of the Canaanites, the, the influence of the Amorites, and the influence of the Hittites. And it's such a trip. It blows me away because it's the exact same thing today. That's what happens when you look to other people. Oh, you know what? I want to be like this guy. I want to be like this lady. I want to be like this church. I want to be like this church. You ever see pastors that are lemmings? And they have one church. And then, you know, you, the, the, a new church comes to town. And they dress a certain way. They do their worship a certain way. And then all of a sudden, this pastor over here starts to emulate that. Pastors who are lemmings. That's what the people were doing here. They were, they were waiting on Moses. Remember, 40 days, 40 nights. They thought, we don't know what happened to him. Maybe he's dead. Maybe he went up on the mountain and died. So Aaron, you know, fashioned for us this calf, this golden calf. Aaron should have been the one to say, no, not on my watch. Repent, you guys, for this wickedness that you've birthed in your heart. The influence of all these other people, all these other countries, all these other nations, the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, and even the Egyptians, what the Lord pulled them out of. Turn with me really quick to Leviticus 18. Leviticus 18. 
And I pray that our Lord protect our minds when we look at these things. That the Lord protect our, protect our minds from uncleanness. But this is what the Lord says in Leviticus chapter 18, verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. According to the doings of the land of Egypt, where you dwelt, you shall not do. Remember, this is where the people of God came out of. They were in Egyptian captivity for a long period of time, century, centuries. And the Lord is telling him, according to the doings of the land of Egypt, where you dwelt, you shall not do. And according to the doings of the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you. So you know how you hear me talk about point A to point B? How the Lord is taking his people from Egypt, point A to point B, a return to the land of Canaan, the promise that he gave to Abraham, what we studied in Genesis. All these people in the surrounding areas, they had their own gods. They had their own belief systems. He says in verse 3, And according to the doings of the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you, you shall not do, nor shall you walk in their ordinances. From these others, other peoples, these other gods started to emerge. Baal, Ashtoreth, Asherah, Anath. These are huge Problems for Israel in the entirety of the Old Testament, even in the New Testament. Huge, huge problems for God's people, for Israel, for Judah, and for the Christian church. All these other gods. This is what he says in verse 4. You shall observe my judgments and keep my ordinances to walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. Now I have to tell you in preparation for verse 6, we're going to talk about some sexual things. God is going to address, you know, you talk about like everybody says, oh, the porn industry, it's bad. The porn industry, it's bad. And yes, it is bad. But, you know, as an investor, you know what you see in the porn industry? You don't see decline. You see increase. As much as people say, oh, the porn industry is bad, the porn industry is bad. I wonder if it's just lip service. People who say, oh, this is bad, this is bad, this is bad. And then what do they do behind closed doors? What are they watching behind closed doors? The Lord has something to say about it. He says this in verse 6. None of you shall approach anyone who is near of kin to him to uncover his nakedness. I am the Lord. The nakedness of your father or the nakedness of your mother, you shall not uncover. She is your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness. The nakedness of your father's wife, you shall not uncover. It, it is your father's nakedness. The nakedness of your sister, the daughter of your father or the daughter of your mother, whether born at home or elsewhere, their nakedness you shall not uncover. The nakedness of your son's daughter or your daughter's daughter, their nakedness you shall not uncover, for theirs is your own nakedness. I have to say there's a lot of loose living in homes today. 
a lot of loose living in homes today. People say, well, this is my house. This is my house. So I'm going to dress like this. I'm going to walk around like this. It's one thing if, you know, if it's a husband and wife, period. But if it's a husband, wife, you know, plus this, plus that, plus this, plus that. The Lord has something to say. I'm not trying to say, you know, wear burkas at home. But don't forget, you know, how the Lord views nakedness. You know, all these people, what, you know, when the Lord mentions Canaan, don't forget that Canaan's were the descendants of Ham. If I can hearken back to the early studies in Genesis, Ham is the one who saw his father's nakedness. And then he comes back out and tells the other brothers, hey, guys, look, dad's naked. And the other brothers, they walked backwards with the big sheet. They walked backwards and they covered their father's nakedness because they didn't want to see it. You know, and you know, the Lord teaches us all these things. In verse 11, the nakedness of your father's wife's daughter begotten by your father. She is your sister. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's sister. She is near of kin to your father. You might say like, well, this is like, this is like incestuous stuff. Why are you even talking about it? Well, why is the Lord bringing this up? These are the things that the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the, uh, the, the Hivites, the Egyptians. These are the things that they were worshiping. These gods, you know, these gods of sexual nature and their priests and priestesses, wickedness. And these are things that the Lord says, don't mess around with this stuff. What do you see all throughout the Old Testament? God's people messing around with this stuff. What do you see in the church today? God's people messing around with this stuff. He says in verse 12, you shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's sister. She is near of kin to your father. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister, for she is near of kin to your mother. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's brother. You shall not approach his wife. She is your aunt. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your daughter-in-law. She is your son's wife. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. It is your brother's nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of a woman and her daughter, nor shall you take her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter to uncover her nakedness. They are near of kin to her. It is wickedness. You say, oh, you know, that's the law. I'm not under the law. I'm under grace. Well, you know, if that's the case, Paul wouldn't have had such a beef in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. When he says, you know what, guys, your rejoicing is not a good thing. Because there is a guy here in church while you're worshiping. Maybe he has his hands up praising the Lord. But I've heard Sister Chloe wrote me a letter. And says that he's having sexual relations with his dad's wife. This is inside the church. And Paul says, take that brother and get him out. A little leaven leavens the bunch. Wickedness. Old Testament, New Testament, wickedness. The Lord says, don't play around with it. 
Don't play around with it. In verse 18, Nor shall you take a woman as a rival to her sister to uncover her nakedness while the other is alive. Also, you shall not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness as long as she is in her customary impurity or her menstrual cycle. You shall not uncover her nakedness. Moreover, you shall not lie carnally with your neighbor's wife to defile yourself with her. Remember, a guy who commits sexual immorality uh, commits sin against his own body. That's what the Bible teaches us. That's New Covenant theology. You see, these are... You talk to pastors today. Our pastor in California... There are things that he would say that were like so gross. When the Bible touched on sexual things, he would just straight up say, you know, somebody came to me for counseling and we talked and, you know, we found out that there was this thing that was happening. And nobody called this guy on it. And it just blows me. And, you know, everybody was like, oh, that's so gross. That's so gross. And, you know, it is gross. And it's sad. But at the same time, what do you see today? You see a bunch of pastors, a bunch of elders, a bunch of deacons who are yes men. They're man pleasers. You remember the people of God, you know, they came to Aaron. They say, Aaron, I don't know what happened to Moses, but you know, we, we want to worship a God. We want to worship a golden calf. And Mo, Aaron is the one who says, okay, give us your gold. Take off your gold. Give me all your gold from, you know, your wives, your sons, your daughters. Give me all your gold and I will fashion this. And he does it. But Aaron should have been the one to, to say, no, this ain't happening. Repent this evilness that has emanated from your heart. Repent. It is not right before the Lord. That's what Aaron should have said. And he didn't. And the Lord corrects him. And we see, you know, the Lord does fulfill his will and used Aaron as a high priest. But that's not to say that there was this major, major fall. That's the danger of these, what I call so-called pastors. Who are man-pleasers. It's not a good thing to be a man-pleaser. Live your life pleasing unto the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He is Lord. You are not. He is Lord. I am not. These are His rules, not mine. These are His rules, not yours. People say, oh, I don't like to read the Old Testament. You start to get a picture of the character of the Lord. I wonder why these people don't like the Old Testament. Moreover, he says in verse 20, you shall not lie carnally with your neighbor's wife to defile yourself with her. And you shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire to Molech. You know what they were doing? They were sacrificing their children to Molech. Molech, who's alive and well today, the God of Molech. Abortion. Abortion. They're just... Uh, uh, 
Led the Colorado legislator last legislature they just passed the rule last night there was a this uh this law that was coming to vote they says okay if a if an abor- if a lady's doing an abortion and the baby comes out alive the, the old law used to say okay the doctors had to pr- uh, resuscitate that baby and save the baby but they went to the Colorado Colorado legislature and they voted no let the baby die the god of Molech Alive and well today. A lot of people, you talk like this to people about the God of Molech, the God of Asherah, the God of uh, Baal. Alive and well today. People don't want to accept that they, I want to come to church. I want to feel good. I want to feel good about this. I want, you know, I had a rough day today. I want to feel good. And praise the Lord that anybody wants to come to church and feel good. But the only way that happens is when you repent to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You repent to His will in your life. And then all of a sudden you start to align with Him. There's times when I read the Bible and I don't feel good. Because the Holy Spirit confronts the natural man. Let Him do His will in your life. Nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. The priests of these false gods were not only wicked, they were also perverted. And we're going to see it not so much in today's study, but in our study through the Old Testament, you're going to see these perverted priests, these advocates of these false gods, these advocates of these demons. They were so, so, so perverted. That's right. People don't like, you know, when they ask, hey, what's your opinion about uh, yoga, you know, or hot yoga? You know, I want to get fit. I want to, you know, let my body do all these stretching. So I'm going to go to hot yoga classes. But like you study yoga, it's all sexual. It's all sexual. You have these perverted priests that wanted, you know, they wanted to have sex with the people. So they say, do this, and then you look at the, you know, it's like under their doctrine, under that yoga, there's like a, a, a God in your spine. And you do all these stretches, and the God climbs up your spine, and it comes up to like, you know, you get like a third eye. It's, it's all satanic. It's all evil. People get mad. Oh, you know, I, I just want to stretch. Oh, stretch. You don't have to worship the sun. You don't have to worship the moon. You don't have to worship the earth. You don't need to awaken this God in your spine and get a third eye. It's all perversion. And you see it in the church. We're going to see it in the book of Acts. Because there's this Holy Spirit revival in the book of Acts. And all these business people, you know, these woodworkers, they would make these gods. They would make little carve these images of all these false gods. And then the church started to blow up a real revival. And these business people, were, they were going out of business. They had to shut the doors because no one was buying their product anymore. So they were coming against the church. They were coming against Paul and Peter. They said, we got to beat these guys. We have to shut them up. There was a revival in the book of Acts. And these other people, these, you know, worshiping other gods, a lot of sex gods that you see in the book of Acts. And they were going out of business, a real revival. In verse 22, 
You shall not lie with a male as you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. This is homosexuality. A man shall not lie with a man as he does with a woman. You see the exact same thing in Romans 1. It's an abomination, Old Testament and New Testament. The things that I'm saying today would get me arrested in other parts of the world. I'd be arrested. Hate speech. In verse 23, nor shall you mate with any animal to defile yourself with it. Nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it. It's bestiality is what he's talking about in the Old Testament here. Sex with animals. These are things that are happening today. Sex with animals. Male and female. But then you have this LGBTQ movement. Now, you know, the latest, they have the P at the end for pedophilia. NAMBLA, the National Association of Man-Boy Love of America. Sexual freedom, all in the name of sexual freedom. And people have their sexual freedom. They go out and do. Liz and I were listening to this girl and this guy talk, you know, and, you know, the guy was saying, yeah, she was my girlfriend. And then, you know, the lady would say something and the lady was like, yeah, we were doing these things. We were having sex. But then she was also having sex with all these other people. Sexual freedom. And people say, oh, I don't like to read these things. It's just a bunch of rules. Well, you know what? Praise the Lord for these rules. You won't get HIV, you won't get gonorrhea, you won't get chlamydia, you won't get syphilis. Why? Because you're following the Lord. It's so beautiful. It's like so many people, they don't like to follow these so-called rules. But there's rules in place for a reason. Because God loves you. He doesn't want you to mess around with this stuff. He doesn't want you to get chlamydia and syphilis. He doesn't want you to get all these diseases. We live in a generation today where you see the STDs that are on the rise. Young people, younger people are getting STDs. Older people are getting STDs. These old people are perverts. They go work in like, they live in senior homes. And then you see the rise of STDs in these senior homes. Guy going from girl, going, go, girl going from to guy. Old people. You think like, wow, old people, you know, they're the, the greatest generation. You know, they might, there might be some aspects of the greatest generation in terms of like World War II and Korea and all these things. But you know what? They're still perverted. They're still wicked. They need Jesus Christ. The same way you and I need Jesus Christ. Bestiality. He says in verse 23, you shall not mate with any animal to defile yourself with it, nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it. It is perversion. It is perversion. I talked with the guy once who was molested a child. He, went to, he was arrested for child molestation. And he said it all started with pornography. 
you know, you see naked lady here, and then you want more. You see naked lady here, you want more. Naked, 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 you want more. And then all of a sudden, child. It gets worse and worse and worse. An evolution into wickedness. Devolving. Morality can devolve. The same way morality can increase, the morality can go down too. In verse 24, do not defile yourselves with any of these things. For by all these, the nations are defiled, which I am casting out before you. The Lord is the one who's saying the nations are defiled. You know, I love this country. I love America. But where you see pornography on the rise, we're the number one exporter, the number one producer and exporter of pornography in the world. The number one producer and exporter of child pornography in the world. The United States of America. And this is what the Lord says. Do not defile yourselves with any of these things. For by all these the nations are defiled. Which I am casting out before you. For the land is defiled. Therefore I visit the punishment of its iniquity. Or I bring judgment upon it. Is what he's saying. And the land vomits out, vomits out its inhabitants. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments and, and shall not commit any of these abominations, either any, either any of your own nation or any stranger who dwells among you. And both Jew and Gentile. Gentiles who were taken in as strangers. We're going to get into numbers. And in the actual provision in the law, there's a law to take in these strangers. Yeah, they're not Jews, but they fear the Lord. And the Lord says, bring them in. It's an Old Testament example of the Gentiles. I mean, I mean, they are Gentiles, but I'm an Old Testament example of the church, the Gentile church being grafted into the root. We are the branches. In verse 27, for all these abominations, the men of the land have done who were before you. And thus the land is defiled, lest the land vomit you out. Also, when you defile it, as it were vomit out the, as it vomited out the nations that were before you. Remember, God wanted to destroy Israel, the people. When Moses was on the mountain, God told, told Moses, Moses, I'm going to destroy these people. I'm going to destroy these people and start fresh with you, Moses. And Moses said, no, Lord, intercession for the people. An advocate for the people. That's why Moses is a type of Christ. An advocate for the people. That doesn't change the nature of God at all. In verse 29, for whoever commits any of these abominations, the persons who commit them shall be cut off from among their people. Come, shall be cut off from among the people. These rules are in place for our safety. Therefore, you shall keep my ordinance so that you do not commit any of these abominable customs which are committed before, which were committed before you and that you do not defile yourselves by them. I am the Lord, your God. If you remember in our study in Genesis chapter 15, verse 16, there's a certain phrase there. When the Lord is speaking to Abraham and he's mentioning their Egyptian captivity, 
He also makes mention of the iniquity of the Amorites. Is it complete? All these other God, these lands, these other people who are believing in other gods, they are shown God's mercy. You say, what do you mean they're shown God's mercy? Well, when God reveals himself, there's always an opportunity to yield to him. Always. Remember, the Lord humbled Egypt. The Lord destroyed Egypt and brought them to their knees. Imagine what that did to all the other surrounding communities. The Amorites, the Hivites, the Jebusites saying, Whoa, we have seen the, the God of the Jews, the God of these people. He is the Lord. All this time I've been worshiping this God and this God, but whoa, the God of Israel, he is the Lord. Such is the case with a man by the name of Jethro. The father-in-law of Moses, when he comes back and reconvenes with Moses, he's like, whoa, your God is God. Because who in the world could have brought Egypt to nothing? But their influence, the influence of Egypt is still alive and well. The same way the influence of Egypt is alive and well to people who have come out of Egypt. What do I mean by saying that? Well, you see people today inside the church who have been rescued out of sexual lifestyles, have been rescued out of drugs, have been rescued out of alcohol, and then they start walking with the Lord and you know what can happen? When there's no intimacy with Jesus Christ, when there's no maturity, the Lord teaches us. Remember, you know, when a demon leaves, there's a certain period of time if, if in your heart of hearts you're on spiritual vacation. And you're like, oh, you know, once saved, always saved. No big deal. That demon is going to come back with his friends that are worse than him. Thus fulfilling what our Lord tells us. That people go back to Egypt. People go back to the sex. People go back to the drugs. People go back to the alcohol. Never, ever, ever, ever forget. Satan is a fisherman too. Satan is a fisher of men. The best thing to do is repent. Repent. Moses... He was mad and he had every right to be mad by the things that he saw. Now let's go back to Exodus 32. Righteous indignation. In Exodus 32, verse 21, he sees all these things, Moses and he's mad, he's infuriated, he's like, what in the world is happening? And then he turns to the leader. He turns to Aaron. And Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? I think this is a hardcore question. And it speaks to leadership in the church. Aaron! Did these people put a gun to your head? Did somebody put a knife to your throat? Saying, we want a golden calf, and if you don't give it to us, we're going to put a bullet in your head. 
Aaron, we want a golden calf, and if you don't give it to us, we're going to put a knife in your throat. That's what Moses is asking. What did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? There's aspect number one of, you know, did the people put a gun to your head? But then aspect number two, the responsibility of leadership. The accountability of leadership. People say, oh, you know what? There needs to be accountability of elders, a fellowship of elders for accountability. Which, you know, biblically, I do agree with. There needs to be a council of elders for accountability. But number one, accountability to Jesus Christ. Where do you have that today? Where is it that you see an elder? Where is it that you see a deacon? Where is it that you see a pastor that says, hey, get this sin out of your house? Hey, you tell you confide in me all these things. I'm going to confide in something. I'm going to confide in you something. Repent, brother. This is a right. This is not right before the Lord. The responsibility of leadership, the accountability of leadership unto Jesus Christ. That's the difference between man pleasers and God pleasers. Man pleasers. What's this sin in your home? No big deal. Here, come to church. Don't forget, still keep tithing. Yeah, go ahead. Come to church. You start talking about movies and shows, you know, all the you see these young kids, they start talking about, you know, Game of Thrones. Oh, did you see the latest Game of Thrones? It's pornography. Did you? We just read Leviticus 18. Nakedness, 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 nakedness. Don't do it. Don't look at it. And what do you have in the church today? Ministry leaders, elders, pastors. Oh, did you see the latest thing, Game of Thrones? Did you see this latest show? Did you see this latest movie? Everybody's ranting and raving about it. And what happens? The people want to be, you know, they're like lemmings. They want to be with the cool kids. They want to be with the cool crowd. They want to do the same thing. Israel wanted to be like Egypt. They were like wanted to adhere to the same gods that Egypt did. They wanted to have gods like the Amorites. They wanted to have gods like the Hittites, like the Hivites. And the Lord is the one saying, hey, I'm your God. It's me. And Moses looks to the leadership. Aaron, what happened? You should have been that, that wall. The people wanted to do this. You should have been a wall to them. Not to be mean, but to save them. For their safety. Why have you brought so great a sin upon them? I, as a pastor, I haven't been a pastor for very long. But there's certain things about scripture that terrifies me. And it's like... That's why the Bible says, you know, 
Pastors are held to a higher standard. Not to a higher standard before the people, a higher standard before the Lord. A higher level of accountability. Because pastors and elders are responsible for souls. Before the Lord. So Aaron said in verse 22, Do not let the anger of my Lord. Notice the lowercase l. He's speaking about Moses. You see a certain level of respect that he has for Moses. Remember, his brother. Moses and Aaron, brothers. Do not let the anger of my Lord become hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. Aaron is the one who should have said no. Aaron is the one who should have told the people to repent. And now he's making up excuses. I have to say something here. Ministry leaders. Especially Bible teachers. Sear these words in your heart and in your mind. The most powerful form of consent is silence. Don't shut up. Don't shut up. Don't don't be a people pleaser. 100% of the time, be a God pleaser. You're going to have all kinds of situations. Where people say, oh, yeah, I'm involved with this. I'm involved with this. I'm involved with this. And you know what you say? Okay. You know, I just, you know, say, are you going to burn in hell? I mean, if the Lord puts it on your heart, but I mean, like, repent. Repent. Don't go. I know the cool kids are doing this. I know all the popular people are doing this. But that path leads to hell and destruction. Repent. And be in the fold of Christ. I really, I could care less what people think. People say, oh, that's so judgmental. It's so judgmental. Remember, the Lord wanted to kill the Israel and start fresh with Moses. And it's not just here. You're going to see it happen again. Where the Lord is like, okay, Moses, Aaron, step aside. I'm going to destroy these people. And they're like, no, 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 Lord. Interceding for the people. The most powerful form of consent is your silence. Don't be silent. And people say, oh, you know what? If you say this, if you speak against this, I'm going to disown you. I'm going to leave. Go ahead and leave. But you know now. And since you know now, you are without excuse. In verse 23, Aaron is still speaking to Moses. For they said to me, make us gods that shall go before us. Remember, they wanted gods just like the Egyptians. They wanted gods just like the Canaanites. What we read in Leviticus 18. A lot of sex. A lot of nakedness and nudity. Make us gods that shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, no acknowledgement of the Lord. No acknowledgement. They say it's Moses that did this. 
We do not know what has become of him. Remember, he was 40 days and 40 nights. And the people had to wait. Aaron heard the elders. They couldn't wait. They went back down to the people. Only Joshua waited. Beautiful, beautiful Joshua. Now we're going to see when we get to the book of Joshua. What a man. What a man. I love this. Stephen, Joshua, all these beautiful men. And beautiful women. Zipporah. I can't wait to meet Zipporah. It's a tough, tough cookie. Remember the sin of Moses? He was, you know, okay, Lord, I'm going to go out and do this for you. Okay, everything's fine and dandy. And, Mo and the Lord wanted to kill Moses. And his beautiful, tough wife, Zipporah, was like, Moses picks up a rock, a sharp one, takes the foreskin of their sons, and then throws the foreskin at his feet. And then Moses was right before the Lord. Zipporah interceded. I wonder what type of influence Zipporah had on, his, on her husband. You see Moses, how he's taking the stand. I wonder if he's reflecting back. Well, I remember the time when Zipporah feared the Lord for me. And how the Lord used that influence on Moses. I wonder. In verse 24, here's Aaron's lie. And I said to them, whoever has any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me and I cast it into the fire and this cast came out and this calf came out. But verse 4 says he fashioned it. He was complicit in facilitating this golden calf. He was 100% complicit. And instead of being a brick wall to their sin, he was the facilitator. This is Aaron. Before Moses went up to the mountain, he told the people, he told the elders, hey, if any beef arises in the camp, let them go to Aaron and her. These are godly men. Use these people. What happened to Aaron and her? And the elders, they went back to the people. They were the same thing today. Another sad part in scripture is in Acts chapter 20 when beautiful, beautiful Paul is crying. And he gathers the elders to them and they embrace. It's so beautiful. And Paul is about to go into Roman uh, uh, captivity. And what happens? They're like, Paul, what's the matter? And he says, you know, from among you, the elders, leadership in a church, from among you guys, I know that ravenous wolves will emerge. Not ravenous wolves over here, 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 inside, among you, the elders, the leadership. I know that ravenous wolves will emerge. It's hardcore warfare. Hardcore warfare. And he comes up with these excuses. Aaron makes up these excuses. Now, look what Moses did in verse 25. He's, still, he's so mad. He's furious. He's glowing hot. 
Now when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, remember certain translations say that when they were naked and uncovered, because in the Hebrew, this literally translates as being bare and exposed and naked and uncovered. When you see this unrestraining, think of like a robe. You know, you have a robe, you put one, tuck one in, tuck in the other side, and you restrain it with the rope, with the little tie. But what happens when it's unrestrained? Think of the things that Moses saw in his, amongst the people of God. For Aaron, it says, for Aaron had not restrained them. Aaron should have, hey, guys, cover yourself. I'm not going to make this calf. Repent. But no. I don't want to hurt their feelings. What about God's feelings? What about the feelings of the Holy Spirit? Pastors who put people over God. Elders who put people over God. I don't want to hurt their feelings, so I'm going to shut up about this. Don't shut up. Especially if you're a Bible teacher. I don't care about feelings. I care about feelings, but the feelings of our Lord. Grieving the Holy Spirit. Aaron had not restrained them. Aaron said nothing. To their shame among the enemies. Think of the witness of Israel. The witness of God's people. What it has become. It's become a shameful thing. Instead of the people. You know the other communities around Israel. Other countries and you know these people who believed in other gods instead of them wow look at what happened in egypt egypt has been brought to its knees and the lord like all these people came out and supposedly the jewish people they believe in this god and this god brought them here and egypt came to attack them and the lord buried them in the ocean and wow who are these people but now look what their witness has become a shameful thing the same could be said of Christians today. The same could be said of pastors today. The same could be said of elders today. People who preach and teach. You hit the fast forward button. Five years into the future and what happened? What are, what are they now? Shamed by their own wickedness. Strung out on drugs. Doing all kinds of sexual sin. Pastors who get removed from the pulpit. And praise the Lord that they get removed from the pulpit. But nobody likes to think about their witness before the Lord. What does my witness look like? What does your witness look like? Is it a shameful thing among the people? We're living in a day and age where you can look at the world and look in the church and see absolutely zero difference. No difference because it's the same. Carnality inside the church, the world coming into the church instead of the church going into the world. The world has entered the church. Go to church. Go to church in the summertime. See how the women dress. Short skirts. 
short. I don't even call them shorts. See how they dress. But who is there who will say, hey, cover yourselves, ladies. Be a lady. Don't be like these ladies you see on the street. Be a lady. Be a lady like you see in Holy Scripture. You see the, the beautiful ministry of godly women who could come alongside this young generation and say, hey, cover up. Why are you going to dress like that? We had a, a girl, Liz and I, you know, there's a girl, you know, we were at this barbecue and she wanted to, you know, she was kind of sad. I was like, what's up? You know, why are you sad? And so she says, I'm hungry. You know, I want to eat some more dessert. I was like, get some more dessert. She's like, no, I can't because my mom tells me if I don't look a certain way, I'm not going to have a good boyfriend. You know, so many times I was so furious with parents. It's so sad because these parents say, I want my daughter to look like this so that she can get a good boyfriend. She can have a good husband. Who cares? You know, do you want a godly man for your daughter? Or do you want a guy who's going to look for this and be attracted to her physically? I mean, it's, you know, being attracted physically, that's one thing. But what happens when your daughter gets old and wrinkly and chubby and all these things? You know what that guy's going to do? He's going to look for the next best thing. Because he's not a godly man. And you have these women. You know, you talk to these women, wives. It's like, oh, I got to go to the gym. I got to look like this. I got to dress like this. I got to behave like this. I got to wear this makeup. I got to do this. It's like, why? You talk to the husband? Yeah, I like it when my wife looks like this, looks like this, looks like this. Who cares? That's just so beautiful about these people. Heroes that we have in the Bible. That's the beauty of a witness. When a witness goes before you. It can be either good or it can be bad. You ever hear, you know, oh, this guy's coming. And you're like, ah, oh, man, this guy's a crackhead. I don't want to be near him. <coughs> you know, he has sex with everybody. I don't even like hearing his voice. He's a crackhead, the way he talks. And it's like, man, I don't... Because his witness comes before him. But then godliness? Like, wow, I can't wait to see this guy. I can't wait to see this lady. Because the witness precedes them. Then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered, to, gathered themselves together to him. Every single one of the Levitical priesthood. I think this is so beautiful. Because, you know, every single one of this Levitical priesthood, they were all with the golden calf. And then when confronted with this choice when confronted with the realization in your heart of hearts if the question is posed what have i done what have i done have you ever looked at your hands the the work of your hands the steps the path of your feet what have i done That's the beauty of correction. 
because of what it leads to. In 1 Corinthians, you don't have to turn there, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul writes about this. Actually, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse, verse 8. For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceived that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice. Not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. That's the beauty of confronting somebody in, in love, but also in truth. God doesn't like this. This is not right before the Lord. It leads, this sorrow leads to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. For observe this very thing, that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence, what diligence it produced in you. What clearing of yourselves. What indignation, what fear, what vehement desire, what zeal, what vindication. In all things you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. What happens if Paul was a man pleaser? What would have happened to the state of the church in Corinth if Paul was a man pleaser? Oh, there's this sin? No big deal. Keep coming to church. Don't forget to tithe. Paul says, I don't want your money. Yeah, I write this letter to you. Yeah, it makes you sad, but praise be to the Lord. Because it led to repentance. You see, don't be a man pleaser. And so look what happens here going back to Exodus 32. When Moses says, hey, whoever's on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the, Levi, all the sons of Levi gathered together to him. And he said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, let every man put his sword on his side. Today, men have no swords. Men have no swords. Because men have forfeited their swords. To pornography, to sex, to drugs, to alcohol. They forfeit their, their swords. Let every man put his sword on his side and go in and out from entrance to entrance throughout the camp. And let every man kill his brother, every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. This is to the perpetrators who are now cut off from the people. A time of judgment. Moses came down the mountain, and now it's a time of judgment. As a type of Christ, what happens when the Lord mm -hmm. returns? When Jesus Christ returns, it's a time of judgment. He came first as the Lamb of God. He comes the second time as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. It's a time of judgment and a big sword coming out of his mouth. <clears throat> The sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. The sons of Levi, who were formerly with the golden calf, have now been corrected, and now they're given swords to be used of the Lord. Does that sound familiar? Where were you when you first believed? Drunk, high as a kite, sexual sin like crazy. 
And then all of a sudden the Lord comes into your life and you believe in him. He changes you. And now all of a sudden he wants to use you. The same thing. Remember kings and priests in our glorified bodies, kings and priests. Look at the Levitical priesthood. It's an Old Testament example of these future truths. Then Moses said, consecrate yourselves today to the Lord that he may bestow on you a blessing this day for every man has opposed his son and his brother. It's a somber thing what has just taken place. Death in the camp, a time of judgment. In verse 30, now it came to pass on the next day that Moses said to the people, you have committed a great sin. So now I will go up to the Lord Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. You see the interceding nature of this godly man as an advocate and a type of Christ. Verse 31, then Moses returned to the Lord and said, all these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a God of gold. Moses is now having intimacy again with the Lord. The golden calf is now history. It's the very next day. The people still have to reap what they have sown. But you see, Moses is interceding for the people. In verse 32, yet now, if you will forgive their sin, he's like asking the Lord, Lord, forgive them their sin. If you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. You see, Moses is different. He's not the same Moses we see in the earlier chapters. The Lord has changed his heart. The Lord has changed his mind. Imagine the people. Wow. Moses is so mean. Look what he did. He came down from the mountain and he tore, he destroyed our golden calf. He made us drink it. He's so mean. Look at the people he killed. This guy was having sex with this lady. They killed the lady. This guy was having sex with this guy. They killed that guy. This guy was having sex with an animal. They killed the animal. This lady was having sex with, they killed her. They killed him. They killed all these people. How mean is Moses? Look how mean he is. That's so cold hearted. How could he hurt my feelings? But then you see in Moses' intimacy with the Lord. He's saying to the Lord, Lord, keep their names in your book of life. But take me out. Blot me out of your book. Keep them, Lord. It's a different Moses. Paul is the same way. In, in Romans chapter 9, he tells the Lord, he, tell, he writes, I wish that I could be accursed from Christ for the sake of my brethren. How he desires people to walk with the Lord, to be with the Lord. And Paul says, I wish I could be accursed from Christ if this could happen. And Moses is the same way. He's a beautiful, beautiful man. 
keep their names in your book, Lord, and take me out. And look what happens here in verse 33. And the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. The Lord is telling Moses, Moses, it's on them. It's on them. Names can go in the book of life and they can also come out of the book of life. All you have to do is read Revelation chapter 3 verse 5. Names can come in the book of life and come out of the book of life. I don't care what anybody says. Whatever they proclaim about once saved, always saved. I could care less. Because in the Old Testament and the New Testament, names can go in the book of life and out of the book of life. Bind that on your heart. Sear that in your mind. Because you have these false teachers today who guarantee once saved, always saved. They have no right to utter such things. Very well-known teachers, which I call false teachers. Very well-known teachers who say, it's okay to take the mark of the beast. You can take the mark of the beast and still be saved. Very well-known people. And so look what happens here in closing, verse 34. Now, therefore, go, lead the people to the place which I have spoken to you. You know, there's still a task that the Lord has for Moses. Behold, my angel. Notice the capitalization here. Anytime you see capitalization in the Old Testament, 93% of the time, it's Jesus Christ. Theophany. You see that what we studied on Sunday. We're going to study more next Sunday, Lord willing. But in Acts 7, you see that even more, how Stephen illuminates the things of the, of the Old Testament through the Holy Spirit, a firsthand account. Because the Holy Spirit was there. That's generations, many, many generations. Millennia has passed, and Stephen is writing about it. Why? Because he has a firsthand account because of the Holy Spirit. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit for punishment, I will visit punishment upon them for their sin. So the Lord plagued the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron made. It's a time where the people have to reap the things that which were sown. The same thing happens to everybody. There's a time where you have to reap what you have sown. You say people, it's like, well, I believe in Jesus Christ. Why isn't my life like this? What the Bible teaches? Well, there's a period of time. You have to reap the things that you have sown. Once that's over, I don't know when it's going to be over. But once that period is over, it, it might be over in the life to come. It might, not, it might not be over in this life. It might be over in the life to come. But you know what the life to come is? Paradise. Paradise. That's our aim point. That's our point B. Today, right here, right now, is our point A. Our point B is Zion. So we're going to end our study here.